the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And the change starts gradually with eternal life being granted us as we are, as we become regenerate, as, we, as God justifies us, as He saves us. And we're changed. And both implicit and explicit in our text today is the fact that we should be in the spirit and image of our Father. We should bear resemblance to Him who begot us. We should be like Him. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, Pastor Keith continues with our series in the book of 1 John, a series entitled, That You May Know. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. This is the Lord's Day, the day where we commemorate the resurrection one day a week, every week. Lord, we are grateful that we serve a risen, living Savior who has atoned for our sins, who has paid our sin debt, who has offered us and given us life and demonstrated the faithfulness of his promises at his resurrection. Help us, Lord, to look into your word, his word, and to be changed by it, to be transformed, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Father, grant me clarity today. Uh, Grant the, the people clarity of understanding and application. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue our series on 1 John, and I I was just thinking as we were just singing, the series is called By This We Know. You know, we just sang Amazing Grace was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. That's what 1 John does in a sentence. 1 John, written by one of the sons of thunder, you know, uh, the apostle of love and yet a very fiery personality at the same time. 
is at once a glorious and comforting epistle and at the same time it can be very bruising. And in a way that's good, that's tough love, it's challenging. And it was written to comfort and challenge a church and an area of churches that had been contaminated with false teaching from the surrounding culture, uh, a Greek philosophical mindset uh, called Gnosticism. This was Gnosticism in its earliest forms that really taught secret knowledge. It's not who you trust or how you live, it's what you know. And, And basically, it promoted an idea that the body was evil, the spirit was good, and it didn't matter what you did with your body, it didn't matter how you lived, it just mattered whether you had the right secret handshake or password. As many of us know, there are cults today that have these kinds of things. And so John writes towards the end of his life and ministry to comfort and to correct and to challenge these people and these churches. And there are people within these churches who, who thought they were saved, who, but lived how they wanted to live, as if Christ didn't exist. They didn't believe in sin. Uh, they believed it was all knowledge. They didn't believe you could do anything wrong with your body. It's the way we are today, right? Pretty much in this culture in which we live. And so he writes this epistle. And it's like TNT. You know, they say dynamite comes in small packages. Nitroglycerin a little bit goes a long way. And this very, very brief epistle is no different than that. Last week we read the prologue where John reminded his hearers what they had believed what he had seen, what he had heard, who he had talked to, what his authority was. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ who heard the message firsthand, an eyewitness, an earwitness, and this whole idea that holiness couldn't be embodied in the physical realm. He says, what we have seen and heard, that which we have touched with our hands. And he sort of poured water over the whole Gnostic idea and the whole philosophical bent there. And it set the table for our discussion that would follow. And today's message is entitled, Clarity and Assurance for the Sinner and the Saved. And our passage today is 1 John 5, excuse me, 1 John 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. And let me read it for you now. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's cause for concern. But, on the contrary, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that he does, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Little children, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And the sense of the Greek there is that you may not practice sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here we find words of hope, words of warning, words of challenge, words of reassurance. What we have here is an epistle written to a traumatized group of believers who needed all of the above. We have this church filled with people. All churches are somewhat mixed multitudes. There are unbelievers in our ranks, so to speak. And so he writes to give them pause, to ask them, to challenge them, to cause them, to stimulate them to reflect. And this epistle is as important today as it was back then. Some time ago, I shared with you results from a survey that was done recently in 2021 where something like 67% of Americans self-identify as Christian. But only 20 of them attend church. And of that group, 6% held anything remotely resembling a Christian worldview. Now you think about that. And that's why an epistle like this is so important because it provides clarity and assurance for the sinner and the saved. Clarity for the sinner that it provides us with a template, a, uh, a metric as to how we live and think and what that means in terms of our relationship to Christ. And the saved who knows he's a sinner, who is grieved over his sin, and maybe after some bad teaching like these Gnostics then, or some of the things they see in the culture, want to check themselves to see if they are, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, in, still in the faith. And so it's against this backdrop, this environment that we live in, that they lived in, that we began our study of 1 John. And, and last week I used a word picture about a first responder coming to an accident victim and asking questions and We talked about it wasn't the questions that they asked so much that are important, but how the injured person answered. If his breathing is shallow and and labored, his uh, answers come in short gasps. If he's struggling to catch his breath, his breathing might come in long pauses and his answers in the same way. And so how they answer the question gives you a lot of insight into their condition, the same is true of the believer or the unbeliever who thinks he's saved or is pretending to be saved. It's all about how they live and breathe in this fallen world, all about how they reflect Christ, how Christ is reflected in their lives. And so John in this epistle gives us these diagnostic tests, these by this we know statements, these if-then statements by which we can begin to gauge our own spiritual condition. And John isn't being mean here. He's trying to help the believer. And in today's passage, as we prepare to get into it, what John is doing is establishing a very subtle baseline. As he works his way through the epistle, through the length and breadth and depth of the epistle, he's going to go from some very basic questions to some very nuanced and probing questions and observations and uh, diagnostic instruments, if you want to call them that. 
But in this passage, he establishes a very simple baseline. Let me tell you, I'm all about baselines these days. One of the things I've learned in my many visits to the doctor and many visits to the ER is that they're, they're heavy into baselines. I've had, I think, one PET scan, two MRIs, four CT scans, four ultrasounds, uh, and about, I don't know, 11 or 12 blood tests. And they're always measuring everything against everything. That's the baseline. You want to establish a baseline so you can figure out what's going on and what progress or digress or whatever, regress is going on. And that's what's going on here as well. John is establishing a baseline. And so we want to be alert. And I want to be clear here because some people look at 1 John and say, oh, is this about work salvation? It's not. It's not about work salvation. But it is about the works that come from salvation and what they say about us. The works that proceed, that occur after you're saved and how they reflect on your understanding of the gospel, your embrace of the gospel. I want you to be alert to the concept of he who practices sin or how you walk. You know, if somebody walks in darkness, walks is not a word like you know, we walk. It's speaking to a way of life, an habituated practice, a characteristic lifestyle. And I want you to understand that as you work through this epistle, John isn't calling people to sinless perfection. He's not saying, well, if you're not, if you're, you should be sinless. He is calling people to sin less. And he is noting that those who have trusted Christ, those who walk in the light, those who walked as he walked, because he's in the light, do sin less because they grow spiritually. We call that spiritual growth, the process of sanctification. And what he's kind of saying here, and what you're going to hear in the days and weeks ahead, and even in today's passage, is that we should bear some resemblance to him who saved us, to him who set us apart. We are children of God, and we should resemble our Father in some way. You know, I love the etymology. I love to study the origins of sayings and the etymologies of words. And sometimes you hear people say, "Oh, he's the spitting image of his son," or "Excuse me, he's the spitting image of his father." And I always wonder, "Well, spitting image—that doesn't sound very nice." But if you go back and trace the meaning of that, it's a corruption of a phrase. He is in the spirit and image of his father, and that's what we should be. And what you're going to see here is just that. This is what John is going to be saying. He's going to be saying that we should resemble our Father and we should resemble one another. And so what he's going to do is give us today a baseline for understanding where we stand, how we are, how we should be, and what the implications of our behavior and our assertions and how seriously we take sin, what those implications are. So what I'd like to do today is help you through these baselines. Today's talk uh, is organized around four central ideas, four points. Um, the first one is the fact of faith in 1 John 1, 5, and actually 7 as well. There's the, then the fallacy of the fallen. We'll discuss that. That's 1 John 1, 6, 8, and 10. And then there's the fellowship of the favored, you know, grace, God's grace, grace is unmerited favor. 1 John 5, excuse me, 1 John 1, 7 through 9, and 2, 1 and 2. And then there's the only Savior, 1 John 2, 2, 
basically. And what we're going to do today, we're going to consider these aspects so that we can draw a conclusion about our baseline. We want to establish an initial baseline test so that we can have clarity and perhaps assurance of where we stand in light of eternity based on what God says to us through the pen of the Apostle John. We're probably only going to get through two of these points today, but we'll see how it goes. So first, let's consider the fact of the faith. The fact of the faith. And that's 1 John 1, 5, and 7. And I want you to look at what it says here. It says in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message. He keeps talking about the message, that which we have heard, seen and heard. This is what we proclaim to you. This is the message we heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you. So accept no substitutes. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now in this epistle there's going to be the contrast between good and evil, saved and lost, spiritual growth and spiritual regression, darkness and light. Two kingdoms, two worlds in opposition to one another. And what we see here is the character of God. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is the nature of God. There is no corruption in God. There is no impurity in God. There is no unholiness in God. And his children should be in his spitting image, shouldn't they? They should look like their father. And we see that in verse 7. If we walk in light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Salvation changes us to be like him. We go from being children of wrath, walking according to the course of this world, to being children of light, imitators of God, Paul writes in Ephesians, as dear children. Salvation changes us from the inside out, and the change starts gradually with Eternal life being granted us as we, are, as we become regenerate, as, we, as God justifies us, as he saves us. And we're changed. And both implicit and explicit in our text today is the fact that we should be in the spirit and image of our Father. We should bear resemblance to him who begot us. We should be like him. That's why Peter writes and First, uh, First Peter 1.16, which is also quoting Leviticus 19.2, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We should be like God. What does that mean? We should be striving for holiness. Like God doesn't mean God. It doesn't mean that we are perfect but we are striving to be holy as he is holy. We are striving to walk in the light as he is in the light. We're striving to be like daddy. You know, this comes through also in, uh, in, the, in the gospel of John. John three twenty and 21. We read this. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light 
so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the message of the gospel is a light that shines in the darkness, as John says in his gospel. This is the message we see in our epistle today in 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So, as his children, as Christ followers, as those twice born, born again, we should be walking in newness of life. We should be walking in the light characteristically. Salvation doesn't make us sinless, but it does enable us through the power of the Holy Spirit understanding and applying the word of God, doing in him things that we could not do in our own strength to sin less. And this is the whole baseline. And today we live in a world that is pretty much, I'm okay, you're okay, let's look the other way. We, you know, we, 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 we just make constant exceptions for ourselves. And we have people who who don't act in a godly way, and yet they hold to the, the fact that they have believed something that hasn't transformed them. That's the whole Gnostic thing in a modern sense. Well, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Somebody said, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. It's a little more complicated than that, right? I mean, what does it say in James? Even the demons believe and shudder. You know, it's the old saying that if the, if the knowledge hasn't traveled the 18 inches from your head to your heart, if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you. Salvation comes through more than mental assent. And I can't tell the extent of your belief. No one can. It's between, you know, only God and you know for sure, maybe. Maybe you're deceived, maybe you're not. But we can tell there is a baseline behavior that would indicate that you're trying to walk in the light as he is in the light because your father is light and you are being, your mind should be renewed. You should not be conformed to this world, but you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we have this idea of a baseline. And from this baseline and the fact of the faith, we come to what I call the fallacy of the fallen. The fallacy of the fallen. And that's the whole idea that I just said a moment ago. I'm okay, you're okay. Let's look the other way. Let's not be, let's not be legalistic. Now, we don't want to be legalistic. Anybody know what legalism is? I had somebody tell me 15 years ago, well, pastor, we're not like you. We're not legalistic. And I was like, what did you say? And like, you know, you take the Bible seriously. I'm like, well, that's not legalistic. Legalistic is adding to God's word that which isn't there. Like the Pharisees did, creating rules that cannot be found, derived, or distilled from God's word. Liberalism, not political liberalism, theological liberalism, antinomianism, libertinism is taking away from God's word both the legalist and the liberal don't have any confidence in God's word one has to add to it one wants to take away from it and the fallacy of the fallen is is that any attempt to hold oneself to a godly standard is 
legalism. And that you know, we, people are proud today. You'll hear, you'll hear people say, well, that's a non-essential. But what you start to realize is everything is a non-essential. And, and so the fallacy of the fallen is, is that you can say that you believe and live however you want to. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.